Oh, what time is it? Who woke me up? Hello, everyone. I am your host, Fast Big Dog. My guest today, very good friend of mine, who likes Sophia Laukley. In the last episode, and Ben Ogden, the episode before, was also a recent college graduate. And though he's already had several strong World Cup starts to his name, I think it's definitely safe to say that he's still, quote-unquote, getting started in his professional skiing career. And hopefully, as you all know, getting started is the theme in this current series of podcasts. So welcome to the show, Casey Schoonmaker. Yeah, thanks for having me. This gonna it's going to be great. I, I really appreciate it. I know you've got a team meeting in a little bit, and you've got a ton of stuff going on over there in Europe, so I really appreciate you coming on the show. I think most of the audience is familiar with you and yeah. probably getting more so, but some out there may not know all of your history. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, and finish with, a little, uh, with an FBD fun fact, something that most people probably don't know about you and would be surprised to hear. All right. Um, yeah, so I'm originally from <clears throat> Tahoe City, California. Um, grew up there, went to high school there, um, skied for a club called Auburn Ski Club um, in high school. I went after high school to the University of Anchorage, Alaska, um, skied collegiately there for four years, um, while also training with Sugar Bowl Ski Team and Academy uh, in the summers. Um, I made the U.S. ski team in like 2020, I think, and uh, have been raced my first World Cup in 2020, have been kind of uh, doing the whole World Cup scene and racing over in Europe since then. Um, so, yeah, it's been fun. Um, I, I live in Anchorage now still, and uh, I'm on APU. Um, so that's my, my new pro team that I'm training with. And, yeah, I'm just doing this whole skiing thing um, for a living, which is kind of crazy and uh, pretty awesome that I get to do that every single day. Um, and let's see a fun fact about me, FBD fun fact. Um, well, um, I took the, uh, rattlesnake tequila in, uh, in Mexico, like a champ. We can say yes, that. You do. I can vouch for that. Um, yeah. So, um, Speaking of Mexico, um, I think with uh, all of the events that have transpired in the past few days, let's start off with the question that's on everyone's mind. Between you, Ben Ogden, Luke Yeager, Noel Keith, Simon Zink, Ghostface Skier, and myself, who's the best surfer? Um, well, damn, you put Simon in there. I think... That's a tough one, man. That's a stacked roster. I think I might have to go. I'm going to go a three-way tie between you, me, and Simon. Okay. All Let's right. just say that. That's fair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, this is a very important point. I don't want this to get too lost in the shuffle. So just want to emphasize and clarify that how much better a surf I am than Ghostface Skier. I feel like that's particularly important to emphasize. And <laughs> Yeah. I want to emphasize oh. that, too, that I'm a way better surfer than Ghostface I, I, Skier. I just want the record to be straight I, I, on. That I concur, one. and so we, we can get back to we can get back to yeah. surfing later. As I've, I've got about twenty more questions <laughs> along those lines, but let's just very briefly talk about skiing. <laughs> so walk us through how you got into skiing and your progression up to now. Yeah, so I got into skiing pretty much just by my mom like dragging me behind her in like one of those chariot <laughs> things. 
um, she would just ski with me in the little sled and I'd get towed behind. And I think she signed me up for like the after schools program, um, like twice a week or something like that. Uh, cause she was just super into it and gave her a chance to go ski and I got to go hang out with my friends. And at first I don't think I really liked it that much. I was always probably one of those kids kicking and screaming in the parking lot. Didn't really want to go out there in the cold and walk around on Nordic skis, but um, did it. And I, I, I remember when I first really started like enjoying it was when I joined like the middle school team and we got to actually do races and stuff like that. And to me, that was just super fun. I just loved competing um, and going and racing with my friends. Um, so yeah, from there, just got into like the high school team, joined, joined a club and went to junior nationals and all that stuff. Um, and yeah, from there, just kind of, kind of fell in love with it. And it's been, been my thing ever since. At what point did you think to yourself, you know, JC, you might be able to really make a run at this thing. Uh, and, you know, just as a quick aside here, yeah, I think you know that my dog is also named JC. Um, but it's it's not the initials JC, which people ask me all the time. So it's spelled J-A-Y-C-E-E. So when people ask me what JC stands for, I tell them JC and hilarity ensues. It's it's like Homer J. Simpson. The J stands for J, or J-A-Y. So is this, is this the case for yep. you as well? Like, does JC stand for J A Y C E E? Because if not, you should start you should start telling people that because my dog thinks that's hilarious and he says it uh, it kills at the dog park. Um, so anyway, uh, that, yeah. that's just a, a, a quick side note. So back to you. When when did uh, when did things really start to click and you thought to yourself, you know what, um, I might be able to go someplace with this. Um. Well, I think, I mean, like I always had dreams, like I always wanted to go to the Olympics and do that whole thing. I can remember like one of the very first moments that I uh, really thought that that might be possible was my first uh, junior nationals and they were in Truckee in my hometown. Um, and in the mass start there, I got third, which to me just felt huge. Like there weren't a whole bunch of far West kids um, on the podium or even really getting all Americans. Um in that kind of era of far west skiing. So to me that, that felt amazing. And I was like, that was kind of one of the, one of the races that I think gave me a lot of confidence over the next few years. And, um, yeah, I don't know. That was, I, I would say that was kind of like a, a cool moment and kind of like turning point for me that just like gave me confidence to keep going back to junior nationals and keep trying to get the podium and, uh, try to make junior worlds to kind of like that started the whole stepping stone process, mm -hmm. I would say. And then at what point did you think to yourself, you know, I might be able to take this to the big show? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think I always, that was always the goal and I always believed I could do it. But I guess, I mean, the, the very first moment that really like solidified that was uh, U.S. Nationals in uh, 2020 and um, I hadn't had like any crazy super tour races or U S nationals races before that. And that one in Houghton, Michigan, I won the skate sprint qualifier. And that was what gave me, uh, like, that's what qualified me to do my first world cup in Dresden. And that was where I was like, Holy cow. Like, all right, I can race world cups. And, um, that like doing that and then racing in Dresden and getting, uh, my first world cup points there was like, that was another huge moment, I think, in, in like my skiing career that just kind of like started a whole another stepping stone process. It gave me like more World Cup starts the next year, 
gave me a lot of confidence. And yeah, that was also a huge one. I would say, mm-hmm. I would say. And so this, this is a two part question. Uh, what do you think were the biggest obstacles you had to overcome first just to get on the world cup and then part two, now that you're on the world cup. Mm. Getting on the world cup. Um, I feel like I just kind of had to learn about the sport and kind of like learn to trust like my training and myself a little bit, like growing up in far West, uh, we weren't always like one of the best regions and, you know, you see kids from new England and Alaska and it just kind of felt like sometimes they like, were just like so much more elite than us and something like stuff like that. So I felt like I just had to kind of get over that a little bit and, uh, racing in college was a huge help for that. Having some fast, like Norwegian teammates and getting to train with them and learn from them every day was pretty huge for me, I think, in just kind of like uh, pretty much stepping it up and getting to the World Cup. And then the biggest challenge uh, since I've been over here has been a little bit of the same. I would say it's kind of like a confidence thing, honestly, where you get over here and you're a little bit starstruck uh, by the shining lights. You see all these fast skiers around you every single day and it's a little bit easy to be uh, kind of intimidated by them. But one of the, the biggest things I think that has helped me and like has been um, kind of a factor in like some of my better results has been just gaining more confidence and believing that I can do it, like skiing aggressively. Um, and yeah, just kind of focusing on my own thing. So I, I would say that's, that's kind of one of the ones over here that's uh, tough to overcome. You know, it's interesting. I kind of hear that recurrent theme a lot. And I think that really resonates with a lot of younger skiers. So I really appreciate you being so candid because I think that means a lot to people. Mm. And I know that's something that particular elite athletes sometimes aren't comfortable discussing. But what would you say is the best part about mm. being on the World Cup? Ooh, best part about being on the World Cup? I mean, <clears throat> just the just getting to say that I uh, like ski for a living and that this is my job. It's pretty sweet um, to get to travel to new places every single week, ski on some of the coolest trails and race at like the highest level of cross country skiing. I would say that's, that's pretty nice. What's the worst part? Ooh, worst part. Uh, that's probably just like those days when there's not a whole lot going on. You maybe like ski once in the morning and you're not training in the afternoon. So like the entire day you're just sitting in a hotel room, staring at your phone. Uh, those are pretty tough sometimes and definitely gets a little bit redundant, but, uh, the good moments are definitely, definitely make that worth it. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. My, my producer Wolfgang just slipped me a note that you got some world cup results last week that we may want to discuss. Okay, cool. Let's remind each other to not forget to talk about this at some mm. point. Cause I think that might be inter- probably not as interesting as some of the surfing stuff, but you know, the world's a crazy place. So let's, mm. we'll, put a, we'll put a pin in that as they say in meetings. We'll get back to that. Okay. So let's first talk about like what mm. your life was like a week ago. So you sent me a really nice text after the Ben Ogden podcast. And kind of speaking of the confidence thing that we were just talking about earlier, I think one of his quotes that really resonated with so many people was when he talked about having to recalibrate his expectations going from college skiing to the World Cup. And Sophia also addressed this point with similar eloquence last week. But then the icing on the cake was probably a comment from our boy, Luke Yeager, yo, when he said, I remember JC telling me in October after four weeks of being sick that he wasn't sure about this season and he was having a really hard time 
just believing in himself. So walk us through your, your mind space during this period. Yeah, during this fall, I had a tough run with uh, some just like kind of a low grade virus type of thing where I just had like a sore throat for almost like four weeks. I got it right during our uh, Park City training camp in like middle of October and flew back up to Alaska. I had like a couple healthy days and then it just kind of hit me again. And so I was just, I missed a lot of training and just kind of felt like, yeah, I was just felt like I was losing a lot a lot of time and like losing a bunch of steps on the competition and everything like that. And it was tough. I was definitely like, dang, maybe, you know, maybe the season's not the one, maybe we just, you know, we'll go do it. But like, uh, already, I was already thinking about like training for the next summer and that was really tough. Um, but it was really nice to have Luke there. And I mean, we, I talked with him a lot. He was checking in on me and, uh, helping me out a bunch and, yeah, I don't know. I feel like the the best thing that you can do in some of those situations for me sometimes is just like trying to just focus on day to day. And when I was sick, trying to do normal everyday life stuff, um, focus on the little things and try to not think too much about skiing. And then uh, once I got back, it was nice to just kind of enjoy skiing again for the fun of it, not think too much about like the feelings I was having because they weren't <laughs> super good. Um, and just, yeah, just try to enjoy, enjoy getting my ass kicked in the time trials and intervals we did. And it was definitely tough. Like it's not easy. And that's just the way skiing is. Sometimes it's kind of a brutal sport on the psyche because there's so many ups and downs and like sickness is a huge part of it. And it can just have a crazy effect on your season, but, um, having good teammates and a really good coach around helped out a lot. And, uh, yeah, kind of crazy now to think, think about uh, that that was like a month and a half ago or whatever. And, uh, now I'm feeling great, like in some of the best shape of my life, I would say. Um, so it's kind of crazy how fast things can, can switch. And you just got to try to remember that, even though it's insanely hard when you're in one of those tough times. Absolutely. Without a doubt, that's one of those things that it's easier to get that advice than it is to give it or other way around hundred percent. a lot easier to give that advice than it is to get it. And I think you touched on something really important. In yep. there. I think every racer knows that form can be such a fickle thing. And in particular, at the start of the season, you oftentimes really don't know how it's going to go. In particular, if you've had uh, illness or you've switched up training a bit or, you know, injuries, um, even after a block of nasty travel, you know, uh, the, Ski team, when I was on it, we talked about this a ton, sending athletes over, letting them come back, you know, balancing that psychological break from Europe versus the stress of travel and all that. So it, it you just really just sometimes don't know. So you come over to the World Cup after far mm -hmm. from a confidence-inspiring fall, like your last training block wasn't all that good. You're coming off some illness. You get over to the mm -hmm. uh, World Cup, and things aren't going all that great, right? But you you kind of... Yeah. Um, um, first World Cup wasn't, yeah, it was, um, you know, when I got over, things were, I wasn't feeling great. Like it was, I felt like I was still dealing with just getting over that sickness a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but honestly, like the first race didn't go as like, as well as some of my best races, but I was actually pretty happy with it considering like the fall that had come. And I think that was a big part of it too, was just realizing that like, all right, it's going to take a little bit of time to <clears throat> to get back to where I might want to be. And so 
just kind of racing into the season and in and kind of like um being happy with the with the first race that i mean that helped me out a lot to just have a little bit of confidence back like i I had a decent qualifier and i kind of fell apart during the heats but it was that was really nice to just uh know that i could still at least get into the heats and stuff like that then uh you show up the start line last Saturday. So uh, walk us through how you mm-hmm. felt the last couple of days going in the race and then take us through warm up, uh, um, qualies, um, quarters, semis, mm-hmm. finals. Give, give, give us the breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. So that whole week, I was actually feeling really good. I had, like, it finally <clears throat> was starting to feel like I was getting over that whole sickness thing. Like the body was just like kind of finally starting to feel a little bit freer. And I was just like moving well on skis and like finding a lot more fun um, when I was out skiing. So that was awesome. And that was kind of leading into that Ostersund sprint. Um, And then honestly, the day before the race, I didn't feel particularly great. Sometimes those pre-race days on World Cup are pretty tough because you're just like, there's... 75 other people out on the sprint course warming up and you're trying to do intervals out there and um skiing in a pack with ben ogden is not always super easy because he's just like flying off the front so i didn't feel super great that day but uh yeah the sprint day i don't know whatever something flipped whatever it was and just felt super good out there had great skis uh the qualifier felt super solid um ripped a pretty good one me and ben were super tight in there uh claybo kind of blew the the field apart a little bit so that was uh we were like all right he's in back in good shape and then quarterfinal um i kind of just went off the front and i was just like every time we there was a big hill in the start of the course and throughout the day every time i got to that hill i just felt really good somehow and like so in the quarterfinal i just kind of uh, kind of led from the gun and we had a really fast lucky loser. He made it through. Then the semifinal came and Ben and I skied that one together, which was pretty sick. Uh, we don't always get to do that. So that was pretty fun. And we did a similar tactic where both of us just kind of went off the front and kind of strung out the field. We had a really fast heat in there. And um, honestly, <clears throat> the semifinal, when both of us crossed the finish line, I, I crossed first and then saw that Ben was right behind me. I was like, that was honestly, I was like more hyped then, I think, than when I crossed the line in the in the final, because in the in the final I was just like so numb. Honestly, I was like, from the moment we we finished the semifinal, the nerves and everything were just crazy, and I was just like kind of numb to the whole thing, like almost blacking out. So uh, yeah, there was kind of a moment in in between the semifinal and final where I had to just kind of like take a deep breath and I kind of had to tell myself like I can't let this this moment like outgrow me like I gotta just like take hold of this and focus on what I need to do and not let these nerves and everything like rise above me too much and I felt like that was kind of a cool moment because uh I think that like gave me the kind of the mindset in the final to just ski aggressively so yeah we went out and I tried pretty much same tactic as both the other heats um just went out and was skiing right next to Claybo and first hill felt great and just decided to, to rip it. And so just went for it. And, uh, second half of the course I was suffering, but somehow held on and, uh, ended up third. Ben was fourth right behind me. And that moment, like when I crossed the finish line, I was, I don't know, I was just like 
the best way I can describe it is I was just kind of numb. I didn't really know what was going on. And like for the next half hour or 45 minutes, I didn't really like have a great understanding of what was happening and didn't really believe what was happening. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'm really glad you brought up the Ben Ogden thing too, because um, I think for many people, the highlight of the weekend wasn't necessarily just your results. Obviously, that's a huge part of it, but also your conduct in the races. Uh, Devin Kershaw stated in his podcast a few weeks ago that we have, in his words, a drama problem in skiing right now with some Oscar-worthy performances happening at the finish line with some athletes. But I'm not sure if you saw Nordic Insight, but um, Gavin posted a really nice picture of you pointing to Ben in this, at the end of the semi that you're just talking about after you, after you just each qualified mm-hmm. for your world, first World Cup final, you know, ever. And I'm sure everyone's familiar, ever, I'm sure yep. everyone knows the adage, you know, picture is worth a thousand words. And, you know, JC, I don't know if there is ever possibly a more apt uh, expression of that than here. You know, you, get, you cross the line, you've just qualified for your first World Cup final ever. And yet your first reaction was to look over and congratulate Ben. And he did the same for you. And, you know, I can tell you as, you know, someone who's really good friends with both of you guys, I, I was really choked up even now. It still gets me choked up. And it meant so much to me to see such a classy move from just two just, you know, not only good friends, but just talented guys who just epitomize everything that we love about skiing and about sports. So, if you could just maybe talk about that a little bit more, because I think for so many people, like I said, that was um, a really poignant moment. Yeah, totally. That I mean, that's what made that whole day so special and one that I'll never forget, I think, was just the fact that both Ben and I uh, reached that, that milestone of hitting that final together. And we just both skied I think really well that day. Like it was just really fun and we were both skiing with confidence and aggression. And we both have like the last couple of years been on somewhat of the same journey where we both have, you know, been struggling to, to knock down that, that barrier of getting into the final. And we both have kind of like shared similar milestones where we've had fast qualifiers. We both made it into the semis. We've raced semis together. And I think every time that we like have missed the final, it's just been frustrating and there's definitely been times where we've been like, damn, like this is tough. Like the guys we're racing against are really fast and we've always kind of just been in it together and it's felt really awesome to do that with him. And, uh, he was skiing amazing that day and he's, he's an awesome person and just a great friend. So that was really special. And, uh, I'm excited to get him up there, uh, up there on the podium. Cause I know that's going to happen soon. And, um, yeah, it was just really special. That's the best way to describe yeah, it. it. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned earlier, and again, this is something you hear often about you were kind of numb after the final. And so now that you've had a couple days to, to think about it, to kind of let the whole thing, the whole thing really sink in and kind of process the whole experience. What are your, some, uh, give us kind of your, uh, impressions, your reflections, your, your state of mind right now, like, looking back a couple of days, how are you feeling about the, the results and the implications? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, feel, I just feel great about it. It's been nice. Like the last week, uh, every time that I just remember that that happened, I'm like, dang, that's pretty sick. feels cool. And uh, 
it's just really validating to see that like all the energy and time that I've put into this sport, like paid off with just reaching that big dream and that big goal of mine. Um, so just been enjoying it and also just getting ready for, we got another sprint race tomorrow. So like, I think that day was so much fun and I just want to keep racing now. Like that stuff is addictive and I just want to keep battling and competing out there. Um, making it to the final, like made it, made the whole day like that much more fun. Cause it was just a extra race you get to do and extra pressure and, um, whole new challenge. So I'm excited for more of those. And I think, uh, just going to try to keep it rolling and, uh, just keep having fun. Cause honestly, that was the coolest part of, about, uh, last weekend. I yeah, think that, that's a great attitude. And I like when you mentioned that the fact that both of you guys had very <clears throat> similar trajectories and you both kind of been knocking on the door for a little while and you obviously had a lot of great results and you've certainly been close but this is clearly a next level and so i was wondering what do you think in particular helped get you to this like that absolute last step and i've got a theory on this you want to hear it okay yeah let's hear it It was me it i'm was interested me. remember when oh. i interviewed you on the surf trip in mexico about how skiers should chill in april and we were talking about what we've been doing and uh, i think the exact quote was yep. you had 50 hours and I had 60. Well, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to yep. say that this changed your trajectory, but it did. And so I kind of in a roundabout weird way, I sort of feel like a significant percentage of that podium was really kind of mine, you know, so you're, you're welcome. Okay. And then, um, uh, I think I read a quote from, uh, your UAA coach, Tron, who was saying that, uh, you and the UAA mm. boys used to go out and crush some hockey. And uh, he, he oh, yeah. thinks that may have been, uh, have, been, have been the secret. So, you know, you mentioned having fun. You mentioned training hard. You mentioned keeping a good attitude to illness. Obviously, all the, you know, perseverance, all those things are important. But, and, you know, and sometimes it's not easy to put a finger on one particular thing. But you clearly, both both mm -hmm. you and Bo clearly did make that leap. You know, do you think there was any one thing yeah. that you guys did last summer, or how did things come together to really get you to the absolute elite level of the sport? Yeah, I think. I mean, I don't know. I don't think there is one thing that we can point to. I think just probably a lot of frustration last year. Um, last year was just kind of I feel like last season was a tough one on the World Cup I know for sure both Ben and I and quite a bit of the rest of the team was just kind of burnt by the end of the year and just had had a tough one and um, I don't know I feel like that just built a lot of perseverance and built a lot of character in this team um, and in us so I feel like that's a big part of it like we just went out and I feel like we raced with a lot more grit and confidence than we've had um, in, in Ostershin so that was a big one, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, a huge part of it, and this hasn't really changed, but is just our team. Like our team is awesome and um, doing huge things and we stick together and uh, it's just really fun to be a part of the U.S. ski team where everyone's just uh, aiming for, for really high uh, ski achievements and goals and results, but we're all people and have each other's backs and uh, care about each other on like a personal level also. So it's, it's a really comfortable team to be on and um, you, you need that when you're traveling around Europe and trying to do well in these races. But yeah, honestly, it's tough to point to, to any one thing. Um, 
but yeah, somehow it worked out. We also had great skis that day. That was another one. Our techs did an amazing job and we had great kick and really fast skis too. So that's a big part mm-hmm. too. So it's, it's been almost seven years, I think, since we've had a U.S. male skier on a World Cup mm-hmm. podium. What do you think this result means for both you and the entire team moving forward? Yeah, it's, I think, I mean, I don't know. I think it's just like, it's just the start. I think it's just the start of now, hopefully all the other guys on the team and guys back in the U.S., you know, we can step out of the shadow a little bit from the girls team. You know, they're still pretty big and casting a pretty big shadow on us because of just the amazing things that they've done. But I think it's just the start of us kind of uh, our trajectory. And I think there's, there's big things to come. So hopefully um, give some confidence and just some inspiration. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's, it's like this podium and Ben's fourth place that doesn't belong to me and Ben, it belongs to our team and to the whole, uh, whole of us skiing. So it's everyone's I think, and we can all celebrate it and uh, keep aiming for more. I love that answer. I absolutely love it. Um, and you know, I mean, that's one of the things that I, I really love and respect about, you know, you, BO, LJ, really in the whole men's team is you mentioned it briefly earlier is how much you guys support each other, respect each other. And I think there's a team chemistry there um, that really every coach and every athlete dreams about, you know, and I've been on both sides of that as a coach and an athlete, you're trying to figure out how you can build that chemistry. And to some degree, sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't. And lots of teams, I think, try to project this image of trust and support, particularly in the media, it's easy to say it. There's lots of kind of, you know, really hackneyed expressions about cohesion, teamwork and all that stuff. But for you guys, it really is real. I mean, I, I've been there. I know it. Just tell me what, what that's like traveling the world with a group of people that you know have your back and care about you um, and how, how that really adds to the whole experience. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fun, but it's not always, uh, it's not always sunshine and rainbows. Like it's definitely, there's some challenges, even though we have an amazing team and we all got each other's backs, like doesn't mean we don't get on each other's nerves and, you know, uh, get a little bit sick of each other cause it's a long year and, um, it's a little bit tough at times. Like most of it is like living in hotel rooms, eating hotel buffets. And it's not always, uh, you know, what Instagram makes it out to be, which is like skiing in these awesome places and perfect grooming and everything like that. You do get to enjoy that part, but you also come back and, you know, you're away from your family and friends and home for, four or five months out of the year. So it's, it is tough, but I mean, traveling with the team is like, I think especially this U S men's team is we just try to have fun and, uh, keep it loose. And, you know, uh, we don't change a whole lot. Like we, we, uh, we're playing lots of like, uh, mobile video games on our phones and stuff like that. And, you know, just talking shit and doing all that stuff. So it's, it's a good time and we try to keep it light, but, um, also we have to work at it. Like we have team men's team meetings where we, you know, we talk about our team culture and what we want to, what we want to be and achieve. And so we do work at it and uh, we still have a lot of room to improve. Like we're all still maturing and pretty young. So um, yeah, I mean it, but at this moment in time, it's, it's great and, and really fun with, with some tough challenges, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Well, I really uh, like and respect the fact that you brought up kind of the downside and 
you know, I know from personal experience, traveling on the World Cup is, is a grind. And I think one of the keys to surviving, you know, the physical and emotional meat grinder that is uh, that circus um, without being ready to kill yourself is the support of your teammates, in particular when racing isn't going well. Do you think the fact that the men's team hasn't had a lot of podiums in the past, I guess, seven years has resulted in you guys banding together more than maybe some of the other teams? Yeah, I would say that definitely plays a role in it because, uh, I mean, we're pretty fortunate to be in this period of men's U.S. skiing where, you know, there's been success, but it's been far and few between a little bit. So each milestone that we reach um, is like a huge celebration and it's like really fun and like we all get to enjoy it. So, you know, it, it would imagine being like a six or a 21 year old Norwegian guy on the national team. Like you got to step into you got to step into some exactly. big shoes. Yep. And like when you get your first world cup points, no one's going to care. But for us, like we get to celebrate these little things, like getting your first world cup points, getting your first top 20, you know, stuff like that. Um, so that's really cool. And yeah, that, I think it definitely brings us together because, um, everyone's just hungry and like we're, we're rooting for each other and we get to celebrate each other's success and, um, and we get to fail together too. And yeah, so I, I think that that definitely plays a role in it. You know, I'm, I'm glad you pointed to the Norwegian team because that I didn't want to specifically call them out, but just having talked to a couple of those guys <laughs> and again, it's a nice problem to have, right? Like who doesn't want to have a situation where, you know, somebody is bummed because they're in third place, but it is kind of a peculiar environment in the sense that you've had, you're almost a victim of your own success. So I love the fact that you guys understand totally. really the opportunity that you have and that you've embraced it in, in the right fashion. Mm -hmm. Because again, a lot of people, that's one of those things that can cut both ways. It's really easy to be on the negative side of that. And clearly, I think, quite frankly, just due to the nature of the personalities involved. You know, you guys just have the right mindset. Mm -hmm. I mean, you and I have talked a lot about just that winning mindset and how, how you do that. And so that is absolutely a perfect answer. So you mentioned earlier mm -hmm. the women's team and kind of being in their shadow a little bit. So, you know, obviously starting with Keegan, I, I think it was 09 when she got her silver at Worlds and then continue on through a multitude of uh, athletes. They've had just such you know, tremendous success. And it's been great to see, you know, Andy and Simi had a couple podiums, you know, Scott uh, Patterson, Gus Norris of all had some pretty good performances in distance races, but at least on paper, I think the women's team has had, you know, some more success. Why do you think that they've been uh, more successful than the men? Um, I don't know. That's a tough question. You know, probably just, I don't know what it comes down to. I mean, um, I, yeah, to be like fully honest, I got no idea. It's probably just like the right people at the right time, you know, like they just had the right people in there, like Jesse and Keegan and Rosie. And, uh, I don't know the, the men, I guess, um, over the years they found some success, not as much, but, um, that's a great question. And honestly, I, I really have no answer to that one. So now is obviously a very turbulent time in the United States politically. And unfortunately, some of this spills over into athletics. 
between transgender issues, questions about uh, you know pay discrepancies uh, between men and women athletes, hiring quotas for female coaches, and I think just an overly highly charged political atmosphere. It seems like it's a very difficult time to make any type of comment that doesn't offend someone. Do you think now is a particularly difficult time to be a male athlete who's just trying to show up and do his best at races? And let, let me provide a little bit of additional context too. Like in my day job, I work with surgeons with whom I have essentially daily conversations about how the bureaucracy of healthcare, greedy, ruthless, obstinate insurance companies, uh, the just overall increased coarseness of patient behavior, not to mention their overall outlook on science and medicine has made their jobs worse. Uh, a lot of my friends who are teachers have had the same observation. So I don't think this is a phenomena unique to your profession or really uh, any other point. And I'm not trying to imply that you necessarily have it all that hard. I mean, quite frankly, I don't think you do. Mm. You mentioned earlier, you know, you get paid to uh, fly to some of the most beautiful venues in the world, ski around in circles for a living. But I do think it's a fair question if things have become maybe maybe harder is in the right world. But do you think it's become more complicated for male athletes in the past few years? Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess maybe not harder, but complicated is a good way of putting it. I would say, and I don't know if it's I don't know if that's just for male athletes or all kind of athletes, but it's definitely more complicated. Um, Luckily for me, like I'm not getting a whole lot of, <laughs> you know, media attention or like I'm not getting asked these uh, tough questions after the races and stuff like that, you know, like uh, probably the Norwegians and Swedes and stuff are, but, or even like Jesse and Rosie are. So for me, it's pretty easy. Honestly, I get to fly under the radar and if I have a bad race, no one cares uh, if like one of the U.S. guys gets, you know, 70th. Um, and if you have a good one, they celebrate you. So honestly, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's definitely, I'm sure it's more complicated, um, with all the things that are going on in the world. And, uh, I can't even begin to understand some of those things or, and I'm definitely not, uh, uh, this is a good example of it. I'm definitely not, uh, good at talking enough, whatever word that is for, um, to like describe some of them and get my point across like I'm doing right now. So it's definitely more complicated, but um, yeah, I don't know. Luckily for me, I don't have to uh, deal with a whole lot of that. And honestly, just pretty lucky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and you mentioned earlier too, being in the shadow of the women's team a little bit, and it's never fun as an athlete to have to talk about bad races, especially with the media. So do you think that the disparity in results between the U.S. men's and women's team has also made it hard uh, for the U.S. men in the last couple of years? Um, I don't know. I mean, to be honest, like, I just don't really feel like it's ever been that hard for us. Like, we there's so many more things that the girls on our team have to put up with than us with, like, the media and all this other attention that goes along with it. Like we have just like had such an easy path with no pressure and just like low expectations and just coasting along, honestly, like, yeah, sure. The, like some of the racing has been tough and we've had to uh, like 
overcome some of those challenges of like get, getting the confidence to race against these guys. And, um, it's, it's not always easy to race the way you want, but like all other things added in, like we have it pretty easy compared to the girls and like, uh, they definitely are troopers for putting up with some of the stuff that they put up with. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that who knows if that'll change, uh, if we keep like racing the way we are, uh, I hope we can, you know, <laughs> keep some normality to, to all this craziness. But I mean, I think, uh, for now we're chilling pretty good, honestly. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, uh, props to the girls and some of the other teams that have to put up with all the media attention and just everything like that that goes along with with being an athlete and being really good at what well, they that's do. That's a great question. So let's talk about that for a second. What do you think that the women have mm-hmm. to put up with that the men don't? I think just like, I mean, and this might be me because this might be like just my opinion because I'm not a huge fan of that stuff, but like just the media attention and like getting asked dumb questions after the races, you know, like, Oh, what do you think about this person and what they said to the media? Like, I just, I don't know that stuff. I don't like that. And like, I don't, I just want to focus on my thing and not really worry too much about like, you know, what this person said about the Norwegians and blah, blah, blah. Like, and I feel like the girls, they, they get asked a lot more of that stuff than us just because they can attract these bigger headlines and, and all of that. So I would say that's a big part of it. And along with that just comes a lot of pressure. Like, um, they've had these great results in the past. And so everyone's expecting them to, to keep it up and, you know, carry the U S ski team forward. So, uh, that's a lot of weight to put on their shoulders. And, uh, for us, we, we ha- just haven't had that. That that's a really, really good point. It, it does raise the, it begs the question. These aren't dumb questions, are they? Because if they are, I swear to God, I swear no. to God, JC, I will <laughs> drop in on you on the next surf trip. The next good wave, I will chop you so hard, you won't even believe it. I put, oh, I'm sure you would. I mean, you love dropping <laughs> on people on the, out on oh. the wave, so I'm sure you would. But no, I promise these are, these are good questions. Weren't you, the, weren't you the one who burned me? I think, I think you were the one who burned me. Uh, I think it went both ways. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about what's in front of you. How are you going to build on the success of last weekend and – what races do you have circled in the calendar as either ones that you think set up for you really well or uh, are just big goals because they're big goals? Yeah, so how we keep building on it, I think, honestly, I don't think we change a whole lot. We just use the confidence that we gained from last weekend and just kind of put that to use um, the rest of the season. Just keep pushing forward and keep aiming high. And, uh, yeah, honestly, there's a lot of exciting races coming up. Uh, I definitely, the biggest one I have circled is probably Minnesota world cup. Cause that's just going to be awesome. Sure. It's like first world cup in the U S in, in such a long time. And I'm going to have family friends there and, um, really excited for that one, but also got the tour to ski. That's going to be super fun. Uh, did my first tour to ski last year and that one's really exciting because, I really like the idea of just you just doing a lot of racing, like you're doing back to back races, then you travel to a new venue, do back to back races, do that again, and then you end with a big hill climb. So I'm going to try to finish that this year. Um, 
also going to do the Berkey this year, which will be my first time doing that. And I think that'll be super fun because that's a nice, like flat rolling 50 K course that I think suits me well. And then, then we got all the, the fun classics like Draman and uh, Lati and Falloon to, to end the world cup season. So yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm just really stoked for the rest of the season. And we got a lot of, a lot of fun things coming up. Awesome. So my esteemed colleague, Gavin Kench, recently told me in confidence that the single most uh, popular thing that he's posted on Nordic Insights all year was a hastily written piece about you and Emma. Now, before you get too uh, mm. full of yourself here, uh, be advised that Emma is a way more popular search term on the site than you are. So let's just keep that in mind. But I have unconfirmed <laughs> reports that you're a tabloid star in Sweden. Is this true? I mean, as someone who's spent a lot of time with you, I find this very hard to believe, but I, I'd like to hear your opinion on this. I guess so. Um, yeah, that kind of happened this summer. The, the Swedish newspapers and stuff uh, got a hold that me and Emma Emma were dating. So, yeah, that's been a little bit of a thing. I haven't, honestly, the first one uh happened and a lot of people like sent me the article and stuff and like made jokes about it but since then i haven't really like paid attention or seen many of them but uh i guess there there's some of them are probably still circulating around well and i uh my sources tell me that you and our boy uh ogden had a little mandate with claybo yesterday you guys all got your hair cut together or something any truth to that oh yeah oh yeah that was awesome that was, uh, we had that in the works. We were planning on that for a couple of days and I was, that was like the biggest thing I was looking forward to all week. So yeah, yesterday we went down to, uh, Claybo's hoofs uh -huh. factory, which is like his, uh, his, uh, hair gel product and, uh, just a bunch of stuff like shampoo, deodorant, and all that stuff. And yeah, we got our, I got this fresh haircut from, uh, his personal barber. Uh, we got to hang out with him, his brother and his dad um that was pretty sick so yeah he's a great guy super fun to to talk to and and uh just really down to earth so hopefully hopefully we get to hang out with him some more and he hooked us up all up with a bunch of shampoo and stuff because i think he knew we were just some dirty americans so well i was, was just nice. gonna say that that kind of fits your vibe you're kind of a you know pretty boy california guy i can see it. does ogden even use shampoo <laughs> like <laughs> uh i don't know I think he was he was saying yesterday he uses soap right here <laughs> and here because he doesn't have much hair there. But uh, yeah, for me, I, I'm using the ocean spray because I got to keep that that California yeah, look going. Uh, so got to keep the salty yeah, salty sure. hair. So uh, along those lines, uh, let's not put a number on it. But going back a few years when I was in college, um, I was working as a river guide, and uh, this is back before anyone in the U.S. cared about Formula One. And uh, there, the U.S. Grand Prix was uh, in Detroit, or the Detroit Grand Prix. So a bunch of the drivers came in to go on a river trip, and I, I took them out. And I also concurrently had an internship at Automobile Magazine. So I was one of the few people in the U.S. who even knew who they were. And we had a fascinating discussion <laughs> about the, the bizarre dichotomy of being just absolute rock stars in one part of the world and then getting on an airplane, flying, you know, in the grand scheme of things, not that far, five to six hours, and just being completely anonymous. Claybo talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago as well. But in today's information age and sort of the you know shrinking globe and all that, it just seems like that isn't very common anymore. 
So in all seriousness, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Like, what's it like going from the cover of Swedish newspaper or like uh, grocery store tabloids um, to, you know, n not even be able to get arrested in the U.S.? What's that like for both you, you and Emma? Because you kind of you're you're on opposite sides of the coin, but traveling in parallel. So what's that like for both of you? Mm. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, it's not too crazy. Like, even though I'm on some of those Swedish newspapers, I've, when I, when we were in Sweden for the last two weeks, I'm not like getting recognized or anything like that. So uh, I'm pretty far from famous <laughs> there. So I, I just get to live a pretty normal life. And honestly, I spent a lot of time with Emma in Sweden now too. And I feel like she lives a pretty normal life there too. I think she's pretty, definitely a lot of people know her name and she drives around in a Ford with, with her name on the side of it and a bunch of sponsors. But um, it's not like people in the grocery stores are like asking to take pictures with her and stuff. So um, I don't know. I'd be really interested to see what it's like if like Claybo were to work, walk into downtown Trondheim right now, like how many people would recognize him and how crazy that would be. But yeah, it's not like we're uh, Shaquille O'Neal walking through like LAX airport or something like that. So, yeah, it's not too yeah, bad. That's <laughs> well, and then finally, probably the most important question when we're talking about looking forward is I think what we can all agree is the most important part of the season and the best part of the season. And that's, of course, the off season. So let me put together a really important, really oh, yeah. important hypothetical for you. So for the annual surf trip in Mexico next year in April, let's just say for the hell of it, we all decide to drive. I think it's like 30 hours or something from Steamboat. So it's going to be an adventure. And I actually did this through Baja a couple of years back, and it was awesome. So we're going, to, we're going to take a bunch of cars so you don't have to feel bad like leaving someone out. So like Jaeger. Like we're not going to take Jaeger in our car. We all know that. Mm -hmm. But we can just tell him he's going to fly or whatever. He'll be fine. So I want you to put together your dream lineup in the car for the 30-hour. And again, there's a bunch of assumptions in this, in this hypothetical book. We're driving from Colorado because yep. why would we want to drive from California, right? Who lives there? So we're, dri we're driving from yeah. my house in yep. Colorado just because that's where I live. And my question. So 30-hour drive, ultimate road trip for the surf trip. Uh, you're putting together the dream lineup. Give me the lineup in the car, and then here's the, here's the kicker. What is everyone – you know, everyone knows the guy riding shotgun. He knows working the radio and all that. Give me everybody's role – in the car like what what's their job what, what are they assigned right. to go all right i like it um you know what we had such a sick surf trip last spring uh my ultimate lineup is gonna obviously be me we got you in there finn carl simon and noel and um let's see here well finn's obviously gonna be dj oh, sure um so he'll probably be riding shotgun finn likes to think he's he's kind of a leader too so he can be shotgun, uh, doing the DJ and thing, thing up there. I feel like Simon, he's on, uh, he's on directions okay. right behind. We'll just say you're driving because, you know, age over beauty. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> I think Noel, Noel, and I can, uh, Noel and I can get all the snacks. We can be on snack duty. And then uh, we'll put Carl, you know, Carl's, Carl's I think, just good for uh, – yeah, some laughs and jokes, so he'll keep right. everyone hyped crazy, up. And, crazy Carl. Yeah, that's crazy the dream Carl handling, handling morale. All right, no Luke Yeager, huh? That's going to sting. You know, 
Yeah, he. I mean, he he uh, dipped out on our on our surf trip last that's, spring, so he's got to earn his. That's spot true. He's got to earn earn his way onto the team. Yeah. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. Yep. James Glenn Schumacher, this has been absolutely amazing. You know, I know you're over there in Europe right now in that bizarre World Cup bubble and the reality distortion field where, you know, little things seem big and vice versa. But I don't think I can overstate how much this result means to so many people back here in the States. Well, you know, if I was back in the States, but you know what I mean. Gavin touched on this in his excellent piece covering the race in which he described how many people were literally brought to tears. And for me, it was extra special due to, you know, the personal relationships I have with all of you guys. But I think probably most importantly, I tell people all the time that I think one of the most often understood and mischaracterized elements of athletes is at the end of the day, and you actually touched on this earlier, which I really appreciated, is at the end of the day, athletes are just people, just like everyone else. I mean, there are good athletes who are good people, and then there are good athletes who are bad people. And, and to some degree, you, al- you also touched on this too, I think, to be successful in such a demanding, soul-crushing, and time-intensive sport such as Nordic skiing, you, you need to be a little selfish, at least in terms of your training. So to see such a nice, generous, fun-loving, honest, and sincere person like yourself and Ben get such good results, it really is just amazing to watch. And just, you see so much negativity and, you know, unfortunate things in sports, whether it be conflicts, uh, you know, athletes being paid tens of millions of dollars demanding more, just you name it. There's so many litany things that are unfortunate right now to see you guys break through in the way you did. And we talked about, you know, the way you and Ben were interacting, all those things. I mean, I don't, this is not about me and I don't want to make it that, but just so you know, I was on my way to Costa Rica. And so I left Steamboat, you know, of course, had to get to ski in Friday morning because, you know, fitness. So we had a storm coming in. So I was just grinding, getting down to Denver Friday night. So I got into the hotel and I was so tired. I just, I had a banana, a glass of water, and I went to bed. The next morning I get up and I get to the uh, uh, security, huge security line at DIA. You know, I've allowed extra time. And I get through just about the time the final is happening. So I've really been out of the loop. And that was when you guys meddled, or you meddled in, you know, the, in Ben's fourth. My phone is blowing up. I'm like, what's going on? What is going on? I'm getting these texts. I only have a second. I'm checking in, trying to get on the plane. And that's when I called you. I'm calling everybody. And I'm like, did those guys really just you know, get third and fourth? And watching all of that happen. And then retrospectively being able to talk to you and talk to everyone else and getting, getting the full story. I just want you to know how much that means to all of us over here. And to see such good people do it the right way. It was, I mean, it, it's, it really is. It's hard to put into words. And, you know, you mentioned sometimes that you, you necessarily don't necessarily feel like you're all that eloquent in, I forget, we were talking about politics or something. <laughs> and I generally consider myself fairly well-spoken, but boy, I, w- I was at a loss for words. I really was. It meant that much, not just to me, but I think to everybody. So again, I know what it's like over there where it's just, it's a strange environment. So I want you to know on behalf of every fan of skiing and athletics and just people who maybe don't know much about that sport, about our sport, what you've done and 
the way you did it and Ben and the whole team and all of your answers mm. today. You guys are the epitome of class. And this is the gold standard by which everyone should be uh, aspire to achieve. So thank you and mm. congratulations. And I really, really mean that. Thank you. No, that, that means a lot to hear. And uh, we really appreciate it. And that's the kind of stuff that, that fires us up to keep going for more. So, yeah, thanks a ton. And, yeah, this has been super fun. Really appreciate right. it. Oh, uh, tell LJ and Ogden they need to get back to me with their very high-level debate on who would win in a fight between Godzilla and Superman. The last time I saw those guys, they, they had been All arguing right. about this for about an hour with no clear resolution. And I need closure here, uh, JC. All right, I got it. I'll tell him the text. Yeah. James, James Glenn <laughs> Schumacher, thank you so much for coming on the show. Buddy, we'll see you out there. Yeah. Thanks, FBD. Appreciate you. Oh, what time is it? Who woke me up?